In a week of congressional hearings, we are treated to a series of statements by our leaders, which makes me question their competence to do so. Is it time for America to have a referendum on the quality of the people we elect to lead us? I certainly think so. Also, is Chicago, is Chicago safer than South Carolina? New data seems to suggest that might just be the case. Welcome to the 16th episode of the Magnifying Glass podcast. I'm your host, Elena Moore, and today I'm joined by the American Stoic. This week we are traveling up north to the sea and examining all of the recent happenings or more like the lack of in Congress, and then analyzing the new recent statistics that show how crime in South Carolina may even rival the crime capital of the nation, Chicago. So now this is an exhaustive list of everything that has taken place in Congress, because if you know even just a little bit about Congress, you know that the most interesting issues are never never end up making it past closed doors. So here's what we found of the most interesting and public things when we were digging into the brush of congressional topics. So the first one that I think is pretty important is the Oversight Committee has seemed to be really pushing it through this week, wouldn't you say so? Well, I think that specifically when it comes to AI, it's kind of been this hot button issue that the, I really, really don't want to be derogatory here, but like the boomers in government kind of have been using as, oh, if we talk about this, then we're going to be relevant again to the young people. And it's going to get all these headlines and clicks on social media because it's kind of in vogue right now. You know, you have the the chair of OpenAI getting fired by the board and then being brought back and you have huge advancements in how popular it is in everyday life and integration into the workforce. And for everybody basically under the age of 30, AI has now just become, it's almost like a new iPhone, right? Everybody's using yeah. it, whether it's for, for copywriting, you know, for their emails at work, or they're using it to create, you know, pictures or whatever. There's so many applications for it now. And so I think that that's part of the reason why is that there's a, almost a political element that is incentivizing uh, those in Washington and really in state capitals as well, but definitely in Washington to kind of talk about more than they otherwise would and definitely more than they actually know about the topic uh, just because they're going to think that, oh, if I talk about this, I'm going to be on the news or I'm going to be relevant culturally. Uh, I think that's a big part of, of why you see so many hearings, uh, subcommittees, testimonies, uh, people going on different news channels and talking about what they think the role of government should be in the regulation of AI, all of these different mm -hmm. things. Really, these people really don't know what they're talking about, and it's pretty evident if you listen to some of these hearings on C-SPAN. These guys don't know what they're talking about, but uh, it, it is kind of funny to see them try and force it into the public light and force yeah. it into their record. It kind of reminds me about the debates they used to have a lot with marijuana and whether or not it should be legal. You know, it was the hot button topic that not many people seem to know about, but, oh, we must regulate it. We must handle it in a certain way, shape, or form and use it for views and, and votes for the next election. So it seems that this AI is in vogue now, like you said, even to the point where uh, Nancy Mace had this opening statement as the chair of the Cybersecurity, Information Technology, and Government Innovation Subcommittee. Listen here. Since the release of ChatGPT just over a year ago, it's become clear 
AI could soon disrupt nearly every facet of our economy and society, from healthcare to warfare. And that's good news. AI is a triumph of American innovation. It's also likely to boost business productivity, raise our standard of living, and lead to life-saving and life-extending medical advances. But like any powerful tool, AI could be used to inflict great harm when it's used carelessly or by malicious actors. That's why we've explored the dark side of AI in this subcommittee, the risks that AI-fueled cyber attacks pose, to our national security and critical infrastructure, the threats to data privacy, the ways, the, the ways child sexual abuse material can proliferate online via deep fake technology, and the risk of personal harm to individuals from unchecked algorithmic bias. These risks and others, including the rise and use of AI to weaponize biotechnology, are addressed in the broad-reaching executive order on AI that President Biden signed on October 30th. Two days later, OMB followed on with a draft guidance specifically governing federal agency use of AI. A brief comment period on that guidance ended yesterday. So this is perfect timing for this hearing today. In the EO, the president invokes extraordinary emergency powers under the Defense Production Act to require companies to notify the government about the development of powerful new AI systems and to share safety testing results. But for the most part, both the EO and the OMB guidance task federal agencies with mitigating against the dangers of specific high-risk AI use cases as opposed to regulating the technology itself. That's a critical distinction. The AI genie is out of the bottle, and it can't be put back in. Suppressing core AI innovation here in the U.S. will not stop China from advancing the technology on its own. And if we fall behind China in the AI race, all other risks seem uh, tame by comparison. And China, quite frankly, as you all know, is not far behind. The House Oversight Committee also seemed to tackle the topic of women's sports, which is seems to be another vogue issue as well that no one in there seems to uh, do anything about. But they talk a lot about it, that's for sure. Well, I mean, that's Congress's favorite thing to do. If you ask them to do something, they'd be very, very frightened. But, and this is kind of why... You know, again, this is not everything that happened in Congress this week. It's not everything important even that happened in Congress. This is just kind of some of the funny statements that highlights just how disconnected and uninformed these people are. It, it brings me back to uh, they're having the um, chair or the CEO of TikTok for the American division testify in front of Congress. And I don't remember which senator it was asked, does, does TikTok connect to the Internet, right? And if you're asking a question like that, you clearly have absolutely no position, should be in no position, to be regulating any type of technology, information systems, or anything like that. You are clearly so far past and, and uninformed about the current happenings, about the things that you're supposed to be in charge of, right? You would think that the Senate Select Committee on a specific topic should be at least as informed as basically the general public about the things that they are supposed to be regulating let alone maybe maybe we should even hold them to a higher standard right maybe and this goes back to the hook that we talked about at the beginning where maybe maybe it's time that we actually start to maybe strive for excellence in the people that we think should be in charge of the regulation of of developing technologies like like ai or maybe they should have a real grasp of what uh, the effect is going to be for women's sports if they don't actually come up with some common sense legislation that says if you have, and science has told us this, if you have, oh gosh, this is on YouTube, I have to be careful. Um, <laughs> how do I put this? If you have a higher density of fast twitch uh, muscles, 
then you are going to have an advantage over those who don't. If you have uh, more bone density, you're going to have an advantage, right? So whenever it gets into some of these topics and some of these questions that what will a congresswoman, men and women, feel like they should be bringing up in, in these hearings, it's really, really disappointing. And it really makes me question uh, whether or not I should have any faith at all in the institution, because I'm starting to think I shouldn't. I mean, I can't remember the last time I had faith in it personally. Yeah. But when it when it comes to women's sports, I really believe there's no hope, including one of the Democrats' witnesses who advocated for biological males to participate in women's sports so women can, quote, drum roll please, learn to lose gracefully. See that, that is not an exaggeration. That is exactly what was said. Listen. The reality is that like their peers, trans girls and women, they sometimes lose at sports and sometimes they win. And success in school sports depends on a whole range of factors, including how hard you work and coaching and access to really good resources and facilities. And trans students participate in sports for the same reason as their kids, because it is fun, because it creates belonging and community, because it teaches so much about persistence and leadership and, and discipline, unless they learn to lose gracefully hopefully i mean kid night we lose on so many aspects do we really have to lose in our own sports that are supposed to be for women well and i really don't want to go here but i'm just I, i'm not going to go there i will say this though i feel like if women's sports were more popular then there would be a greater push to protect them yeah that's true that, that's very true it's going to take continued and heightened involvement from women to protect that going forward because right. they're going to keep coming for this and and that's the thing we're seeing these issues everywhere even in south carolina and anderson county for example has had a hard fight in the you know high school middle school areas because they have these boys who are saying they're women who are being allowed to go into the female locker rooms. And so that's a huge issue, but you're not hearing much about that. And I think you're right. There may be some much of a correlation here because women are not as involved in sports or have such a, uh, a lean to it as men do. And, and that can definitely show a lot of differences there. But I want you to listen to Representative Lisa McLean's closing remarks on the Economic Growth, Energy Policy, and Regulatory Affairs Subcommittee on this topic. What have we lost our minds? I sat here and listened to every, every label imaginable. I, I am here to protect women, girls. My God, why do I have to apologize for that? We spent decades trying to protect women. And you know what? We won. We won. So I will not apologize now or ever for trying to protect my daughters and women in sports. And that's what this hearing was about, protecting women. So you know what? I am a woman, and let me tell you, hear me roar, because I will not stop protecting women. You want to know why? Because we have rights, too. Women have rights, too, and our daughters have rights, too. 
Let me be explicitly clear on that. And I will never stop protecting our daughters. I will never stop protecting women. That is my job as a mother, and it is the right thing to do. This hearing today has been extremely informative and heartbreaking. Frankly, I am mystified by the Biden administration's shameless failures to protect women's rights. We talk about protecting women's rights like that's such a bad thing, that that's so evil to protect women's rights. Have we lost our mind? The administration's proposed Title IX rule will re rewind decades of progress in women's rights. The Biden administration is weakening Title IX by allowing all males who identify as women to participate in women's sports. Okay, identify as women. How about just be a woman? The Oversight Subcommittee on Healthcare and Financial Services member, Miss Jamison Crockett, called Florida and Texas deplorable over their citizen support for an abortion ban. In fact, Miss Perry, I know your organization, the Heritage Foundation, loves Texas. Ooh, they love Texas. They always sending us some nonsense bills um, that somehow set this country on the wrong trajectory. They send them to Texas. They send them to Florida. Every deplorable state that we can think about, they usually coming out of y'all's think tank. This was probably the highlight of all of the highlights or lowlights. I guess it's the lowlight of the lowlights, not the highlight of the highlights. The lowlight of the lowlights come out of Congress this week. Was, was this clip for me. The fact that you have somebody in the federal government who thinks that it is completely okay for them to just denigrate the will of a state legislature and the state and the people of that state is laughable. You've seen a complete inversion of the system. Everybody now just assumes that the federal government is basically responsible for everything. And anything that kind of falls through the cracks or is state specific, kind of mm -hmm. eh, the state can handle it, I guess. You know, they'll probably end up using federal money for it anyway. And so the federal agencies in the executive branch will have a lot of oversight into what the actual state legislatures will do. And it's a complete inversion of what, what it was supposed to be. But that wasn't even the funniest part about this clip for me. Outside, again, leaving aside just like her language, her body language that she uses as she's just kind of you know, taking the moral high ground here and just kind of <laughs> ranting at people that she thinks are less than, right? If you look in the background, you'll just see the staff in the background just cracking up. And neither option is good, right? Because right. either you have the staff in the background that are agreeing with her and they're just laughing because she's like, they're like, they're also kind of joining in this, yeah, the stupid Texans, stupid Floridians. Also, she's a representative of Texas. Um, oh, can we so, just highlight that? I mean, good yeah, night. From, You're getting made the fun Dallas of. Area. Um, and, and so you have a Texas representative and Texas, I would assume Texas citizens that are on her team that are sitting behind her kind of just laughing at the will of, of, the Texans, the Texan state legislature and the Texas and individuals in Texas. Or you have people behind her that are also just so amused by what she's saying and how she's saying it that they can't even be professional in Congress. Right. Either option is bad. Either option is it's also kind of funny because you have a representative from Texas dumping on her own state and the people that, you know, she should be representing, versus you just have the, the staffers, they're just making fun of the person that they work for behind behind their back on mm -hmm. television. Either way, I don't really know which one it is because I don't really understand uh, the way the leftist mind works, but it was a very funny clip. Oh, can not, you understand not... how a Republican mind works? 
Well, some of them. Thomas Massey, yes. Yeah. Right? I understand that. Nikki Haley, I don't think there is a mind. I don't think no. there is any brain. There's, there's heels. Like, there's no... There's heels. I still don't know what that means. <laughs> I would love to know. That's still... that Like, we're going to put that up there with who shot Kennedy... Uh, with like the greatest mysteries in American politics in the last hundred years is what did that in turn mean whenever they tweeted that out? According to Miss Jameson Crockett, uh, Jasmine, excuse me, Miss Jasmine Crockett call, uh, from Texas, her congressional website says she's a member of lots of caucuses as well, which is very enlightening to her legislative career. A few of the fun ones, and we'll pop this up on the screen, but some of our favorites are the, well, we have the normal ones of the Democratic Women's Caucus, the Black Caucus, the Progressive Caucus, you know, pro-choice, obviously, the Ukrainian Caucus. Who saw that coming? Well, I mean, let's, let's, let's pull out some of the more, like, random ones that I, why was this a caucus? Congressional Diabetic Caucus, 5G and Beyond Caucus. That sounds like a like a like a bad Star Trek movie, okay? Five G and beyond. Okay, what are we doing? A reboot of Toy Story here? What is this? The Black Maternal Health Caucus? How can you put oh, yeah. that in the same list as pro-choice, equal rights, and equality? Don't make uh, sense. Right, look again. We, as you said, do you really understand the Democrat mind? Not really. No. None of us do. We have the Aerospace Caucus. That's kind of out of left field. Don't know where that one came from. Second Chance Caucus? Or Task Force? Criminal Justice Reform. Well, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. The Hunger Caucus. That's a good cause. That's a good cause. I, I can appreciate it. At least I can get behind one of these. I don't know what they've actually done about it. Again, I feel like this is just one of those things. If you're ever in, like, you know, young in your career, I would never do this, by the way. So if you're looking to employ me, I would never, ever do this. But... <laughs> So, you know how people, whenever they're building their resumes, will sometimes, how do I put this, um, exaggerate? Just a little bit. Their work experience, their title, right? I feel like that's all this is. Yeah. Like, they just sat there on their first day in office, and they're like, okay, I need to sound like I do stuff. How do I do that? Well, I'm just going to build a 30-page like page list of all of the quote-unquote caucuses I'm a part of. Doesn't mean I do anything. But look at all of the things I was involved in. I care. I think this is just basically a very pretentious way of just screaming, I care. Look at all the caucuses I'm on. Look at all of the people I give money to. I'm so philanthropic. That's the same energy. I bet she doesn't give money to these. I bet she doesn't give money to these. I would be willing to go out on a limb here and say that she doesn't even care enough to make a $10 donation. Yeah. Honestly. Well, if we take a look at what's happening in the Senate, it gets a little bit more interesting, I guess, but it's pretty much the stuff we already knew. It's just kind of fun seeing it on tape. It's growing up daycare. Instead of regular daycare like the house, this is growing up daycare. <laughs> hey, we're moving up in life, guys. We really are. So in the over Up in age, not much else, not intelligence, just age. <laughs> Lots of gray hairs. The Oversight Committee of the Senate, because there's two of them, because, you know, we don't get enough done in the House, so we need one in the Senate as well. Uh, uh, Josh Hawley questioned the FBI Director Christopher Wray on targeting Catholics. 
No, I don't know the answer to that question, but I can tell you that we don't investigate people for their exercise of their constantly protected, constitutionally protected religious expression. I, that I particular intelligence product is something that as soon as I saw it, I was aghast. I had it withdrawn. Really, you were aghast. I was. And, oh, really? Yes, and what sir. have you done about it? Did you fire the people who wrote it? No, I had it withdrawn. Have you fired anybody involved in it? Senator, if you will give me a chance to answer That's a your yes question. or a no. It's not hard. Have you fired anyone involved in the writing of that outrageous memo, about which, frankly, you've repeatedly misled the public? Yes or no? The individuals involved have in that you product fired were anyone? not, just a minute, were not found to have engaged in any intentional or bad faith conduct. And in fact, in fact, Senator, a number of the individuals so the involved no. a number of the individuals involved in writing that product in the Richmond office were themselves Catholic. So the notion oh, I see. that so they were targeting they, their own oh, faith. Oh, so they is had to get out of jail free card. I see. They, I see. So you're immune and they're that. immune. So we shouldn't ask questions about it. You haven't done a darn thing. You haven't fired anybody. In fact, what the House found is, what is it? You you admonished them. They were admonished. And their respective supervisors were told to engage with the Human Resources Division to ensure the deficiencies are addressed. Oh, well, I feel much better. They've been sent to bed without food. Good heavens, Director. This is one of the most outrageous targetings. You have mobilized your division, the most powerful law enforcement division in the world, against traditionalist Catholics, whatever the heck that means. And you're just told us you, you have not fired a single person. Because, you know, I don't think the FBI has enough time or they have plenty of time on their hands to take care of all of their other issues and reports that they get daily from Americans all across the nation. But what's the real issue here? It's obviously the Catholics. Well, I mean, the FBI came out, this was probably over a year ago now, and, and said that it, anybody who partook in Latin mass was had, had a heightened risk of extremist behavior and you know I just love how oh we weaponize the institutions against conservatives that eh, that's okay are, are you gonna fire anybody and as Christopher Ray said no but it's okay because they're admonished they're you know don't get caught doing that again I guarantee you they weren't told don't do that again they were told don't get caught doing that again because now I'm gonna have to go in front of the Senate Oversight Committee and answer some very uncomfortable questions and I don't like that I don't like that one bit and so, and then they go about their way and they just keep doing it. That's the way that government works. Everybody knows that. The Oversight Committee is an absolute joke in both the House and the Senate. Oh. Because any time that they actually want to, if a senator or, or a congressman asks a very pointed question that actually might get them somewhere, all they say is, I don't know, or that's an active investigation. I can't talk about that. And then they just skate on their way. Oh, yeah. Speaking it's, of it's, which. It's an abomination. The, the, I think the best skating that I saw happen in these different clips is when Senator John Kennedy questioned Director Ray on Hunter Biden's laptop. And Ray responded as, oh, the FBI isn't allowed to get involved in an election year. The FBI had the Hunter Biden laptop. On, got it on December 9, 2019. The, the uh, New York Post story, which, which a lot of the social media companies at the, at the suggestion of government took down, the story came out on 10-14, 2020. 
Why didn't the FBI just say, hey, the, 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 the laptop's real? Why didn't you just tell everybody the laptop's real? We're not vouching for what's on it, but it's real. This isn't a, 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 a fiction. Well, I, I, as you might imagine, the FBI cannot, especially in a time like that, be talking about an ongoing investigation. Second, I would tell you that at least my understanding is that both the FBI folks involved in the conversations and the Twitter folks involved in the conversations both say that the FBI did not direct Twitter to uh, suppress. But that others were story. in government. Well, I can't, again, I can't speak to others in government. Now, that's part of the point that I was trying to make because the Fifth yes, Circuit's sir, but opinion. But you're the FBI. You're not part of the White House and part of Homeland Security. You're not supposed to be political. You see all this controversy going on. Why didn't the FBI say, time out, folks. We're not getting in the middle of this, but the laptop's real. Again, we have to be very careful about what we can say, especially in the middle of uh, an election season. This is so facially false. I almost can't believe he would say this. But then I remember all the other absurd things that we've had the directors of the FBI say in front of congressional committees. And I'm like, oh yeah, he'd totally say that. Remember when in 2016, the FBI under uh, James Comey said, yeah, we're not going to recommend any prosecution of Hillary Clinton because it was negligent and it was a crime, but we don't think that she meant to do it. So... So we're not going to prosecute. Even though she jokes. That in, in, that's in no way involving yourself in an election, in an election year, Even right? though she's actively joking about deleting emails. Oh, you mean with a cloth? <laughs> I have to give credit here to uh, Ron Paul because he was on this wave yeah. probably 50 years ago now. Where he said the FBI was really created to control and to subjugate the American mm -hmm. people. And, and this is something that I will say very, very, very few conservatives actually have the gumption to come out and say, because it, you have like the Sean Hannity take a lot of the times, which is, well, you have some bad apples at the very top, but the guys with the boots on the ground, right, they're actually pretty good, which is not right. true, categorically false, right? Because if you have... It, it, it's not Christopher Ray that's going out and kicking in the doors of Moms for Liberty and kicking in the doors of, of Catholics that attend Latin Mass and kicking in the doors of all these different right-wing, quote-unquote, right-wing groups or Christian groups or what, however they see fit, J6ers, right? He's not the one doing it. It's the boots, right? It's the everyday, regular FBI agent. And so Sean Hannity and all of the other you know, conservatives in, in that vein of conservatism, which is which is most right. of them, unfortunately, really have completely just kind of given up on attacking the institution mm -hmm. as a whole. And so until that happens, until you see a real change in public perception against the you know, kind of the favorability ratings of the FBI, this isn't going to change right. because we've seen it. We've had, was it three or four uh, FBI directors in the last six years or so. I mean, it's too many to keep changed. up with at this point. But, you know, they can they can investigate Russia being involved with our elections actively during an election year. But don't worry. Mm -hmm. they, are, they can't be involved in elections if it relates to the Biden family. I mean, I really want to get into the Steele dossier that the FBI paid for, mm -hmm. right? The FBI paid Christopher Steele over 10 times to create the dossier and obviously the whole information laundering system that got that 
you know, pushed through by the Clinton campaign and the DNC and then the FBI, and then, you know, pushed into the Washington Post, which then the FBI used on their FISA warrants. It's just a complete mess of, of corruption. Again, all of that taking place, not only in an election year, but one campaign attacking the other presidential campaign. And so, you know, it sounds great. It's a great excuse okay. if you if you just take him at his word. But if you have any historical context of the actions of the FBI in the last 10, 15 years, or going back, you know, 40, 50 years, if you're if you're really paying mm-hmm. attention, you'd know that this just this is an absolute BS. Yeah. It, it just I mean, is. There's no truth to it. It's complete BS. <sighs> At this point, it's just, well, it was embarrassing a long time ago. This <laughs> this is a new level. But speaking of which, yeah. you want to talk about big topics in the news. It was also brought out in the Senate this week when Senator Blackburn and Senator Durbin get into an argument over Durbin denying that the that there was a subpoena for Jeffrey Epstein's flight logs and that the issue of Jeffrey Epstein's flight longs has never been brought to his attention. Chairman Durbin, can I ask you a quick question? Um, why won't you subpoena Jeffrey Epstein's flight logs? So who are you? Hillary Vaughn with Fox. With Fox, of course. Uh, I don't know anything about his flight logs. But why won't you subpoena them? Why don't you want to know? I don't know the issue. I know who Epstein was. But I certainly don't know anything about the issue. Well, he was charged with sex trafficking, so why don't you want to know who was utilizing his private plane? Never been raised by anyone. Senator Blackburn has wanted to subpoena them, and there hasn't been a vote in your committee. He said a word to me, not a word. But aren't you curious, like, what high-profile or powerful people might be closeted predators and pedophiles? Doesn't that concern you? So why won't you subpoena them if you can? It's the first time anyone has raised it. Thank you, Fox. Senator uh, Blackburn, before you leave, I want to make a point for the record, since I understand you made some statements about the Jeffrey Epstein flight logs. There's a Fox reporter in the hallway who asked me about this, and I said I had not spoken to you one time about this issue. I think you'll back me up on that. I'm not, not mistaken. I didn't know that this was even a subject of your amendments, which... If you recall, you were the first on the list until the two-hour rule was invoked. Uh, I don't know anything about this request on your part. I'll be happy to discuss it with you. But I haven't done any discussion with you to this point, correct? Mr. Chairman, I know, and I think you're fully aware that I had two amendments, one dealing with Epstein and Sotomayor. I brought it up previously. I have to confess I didn't know that you'd offer that amendment. Happy to discuss it with you, but I want to point on the record. You and I have never personally discussed this, have we? We talked briefly on the floor at the conclusion. You never mentioned what the subject matter of your amendment was. You said you wanted to offer In committee, I brought up my the subject matter of my amendments. Not in my Three presence. Weeks. <laughs> Not only was the subject matter brought up in Durbin's presence, Senator Blackburn was speaking directly to him. I seek recognition. Senator Blackburn. Since we're in the business of issuing subpoenas now, here are a few more that I filed. A subpoena to Jeffrey Epstein's estate to provide the flight logs for his private plane. Thank you, Senator. Um, When I recognized you, I didn't know what subject you wished to speak to. 
as I announced at the beginning, the first thing we'll consider the two judicial nominations, then we will move to the subpoena. All right, so we caught him lying. First, there wasn't enough time. Then this was the first time he was hearing about it. Then it was never brought up in his presence. Why is Dick playing dumb? I mean, at this point, I just want to say homeboy is way too old to be in the seat he is. So maybe he did forget Alzheimer's or something. It seems like that is one of the leading causes of death in the Congress, whether or not it's produced. Limp Dick Durbin. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't hear anything. All right, well. All right. Hopefully YouTube didn't. Well, grab your popcorn. We're about to get to the main stage of the South Carolina murder rate and how it really is rivaling, and that's a nice word to say, Chicago's crime rate. And you might even say it's a gang war. A gang Sorry. war? Oh, never heard of those here. Well, gang rivalry. It's Crips versus Bloods. Oh, man, we are still doing that these days. Well, we keep bringing them in. We were like... It's almost like the United States is it's a football team and we keep uh, promoting people from the minor leagues just because we keep um, bringing in so many people that end up committing mass crimes that we need to replace them. Either they're dead or they're in the criminal justice system. And we decide, oh, it's, it would be boring to not have astronomical murder rates and, and uh, carjackings and all of that. That would be boring Absolutely. if we didn't have to deal with that in our everyday life. So what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that the DAs just cut everybody mm -hmm. loose after they commit a crime, no matter how major it is, no matter how many times Especially they've been, no if it's a rape case. Definitely cut them. Yes. Yes, because we need to protect women. Women's rights, baby. Wait a minute. And on top of that, not only going to do that with our native population, we're going to let millions of people in a year unvetted and undocumented across the southern border and then just kind of help them maneuver across the country as they will. A lot of them end up in major cities like New York and Chicago and L.A., uh, but a lot of them are getting relocated to very rural areas. And, and we've seen huge crime... What's the word? Crime increase? Yeah. Spikes. Spikes. And one state or, or, or city you never want to be compared to whenever it comes to crime rate or murder rate, it's been Chicago. Yeah. It's been Chicago for a long time. And the National Conservative had a piece out uh, in which they said, they said this. Elena, take it away. Homicide rates increase with urbanization and black homicide rates are high because blacks tend to live in the most densely populated areas. End quote. Today we are going to dispel the false narrative that urbanization causes high black homicide rates. South Carolina, in fact, has lots of small towns and villages that are majority black, and it's usually in the very rural areas. Many of these towns have homicide rates comparable to Chicago or even higher, but the mainstream media won't tell you that because that's racist. There are entire counties in South Carolina that are extremely rural, yet they still have a very high black homicide rate. We calculated the homicide rates, or I guess the, the National Conservative did, of South Carolina's 46 counties using an average of three years. This is because when you are dealing with low populations, it's easy to have a spike. A county of 15,000 people could have a record homicide rate one year and zero homicides the next. So we're going to go ahead and list the 46 counties based below on the black population, or excuse me, 
based on the black percentage of the population. It is easy to see that the race is a far more significant factor in homicide rates than population density and urbanization. If we're to take some of these numbers and compare it, whoop, and compare it to Chicago homicides according to the Chicago Sun-Times, we see that in Chicago in 2018 there was the murder rate of 20.3 per 100,000 people. Is that right? It's not people. It's people. Okay. Yep, per 100,000. And then 2019 is a little bit lower, 18.7. And then what we we're all kind of familiar with was that spike in, in COVID. In, in 2020, you kind of saw a huge spike all across the country. In Portland, it was up to 400%. But in Chicago, uh, it jumped all the way from 18 to 28.2%. Because uh, why not 000. murder people when you don't have anything and, else better to do? Well, especially whenever you think you're okay. going to get away with it. Uh, summer of love, right? And I, I, the average in South Carolina statewide is around 10, right? So it's still about a third of where mm -hmm. Chicago was in in 2020. So I guess we, you know a little bit of clickbait by us uh, whenever we're saying that South Carolina as a whole <laughs> is as bad as Chicago because it's not. But there are areas within South Carolina where not only is it as bad, but it's even worse. Uh, I think I think maybe the worst is Dillon yeah. County, uh, twenty eight thousand people, forty seven percent of the county is black, and there's a murder rate of thirty seven point three eight. And and there are many other counties within here that you see, you know, between the upper twenties and and the the mid thirties, which is extremely high, and kind of goes against the whole narrative that we've been taught for so long. Uh, so the, there is a problem whenever it comes to policing crime, but that problem is not just in the big city, right? So when you have lax DAs and, and poor policing and, and understaffed policing since 2020 and, and kind of the turn on police with the public perception of them, it's created problems in big cities. Mm -hmm. And we hear a lot about that. We hear a lot about how understaffed you know, Minneapolis is with their police department in Dallas and, and New York. Oh, it's bad here. You know, in New York, they took, yeah. And yeah. it's bad everywhere. It's bad everywhere. It just doesn't get the airtime. And just because it doesn't get the airtime and people aren't talking about it doesn't mean that you aren't seeing an impact from it. Right? You're, hey, there's a small small town where I live, and my friend just became a, an officer in that department. And basically everybody's gone. You know, he, he has to work basically 80 hours every week. And they're still understaffed, right? Even whenever people are working two, basically as two full-time comps every week. And they still don't have enough cars yeah. on the street uh, every day. And so it's a, it's a huge problem. And this is exactly the I mean, you're you lucky in a lot of these rural counties to get maybe five police cars. And a, a lot, the vast majority, I want to say in Fairfield County, there were two or three that were full-time. I, I can't remember the exact numbers. I mean, it, it's super duper small. You can even see Allendale County, which I believe is the least populated county in South Carolina, has a percentage, what, that's uh, almost 8,000 people, less than 8,000 people that live in the county. And you've got... 73% of the county of Allendale is black, and 25.45 is, right. is the murder rate So you see 25% of a murder rate there. I mean, that... that, that well, 25 per 100,000, so it's it's a rate, so it's a little bit, right, since you don't have anywhere close to 100,000 people, that's why you had, you only had two murders in uh -huh. Allendale, right? And this is kind of the way that goes back to with how small counties can kind of be a little bit 
uh, misleading if you just if you just look at one year in particular. So going back the last four years, you had two murders last year, one the year before, three the year before, and two the year before, right? Which doesn't sound like a lot, but given the how small the county is, that is a yeah. pretty significant murder rate per 100,000, which is kind of the mm -hmm. way it's calculated statistically to make sure that it's even across, because uh, that's the only way that you can really compare the murder rates between different, different size cities. And, it, and it's important county. to point out that Edgefield, the county of Edgefield is completely missing from these statistics and McCormick County is also most likely missing information here as well. So what would it look like with complete statistical information from all of the counties? I'll let your imagination ponder on that one for now. Well, thank you for joining us today on the Magnifying Glass podcast. We delve deep, bringing the overlooked into focus and magnifying the stories that matter to you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, subscribe, and share, and help us shine a light on even more discoveries. I'm your host, Elena Moore, and remember, sometimes the smallest differences make the biggest impact. Until next time, keep looking closer.